You're listening to a podcast by Hip Fee Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. I'm Laura Phillips, and I'm the head of urban advocacy at Hip Fee Hype. Hip Fee Hype is an entrepreneurial group of businesses that are working to resolve more sustainable, more socially responsible, and more intuitive solutions to our cities. What does carbon neutral actually mean? How can housing be carbon neutral and what benefits does this have for both the resident and the natural environment? Today I sit down with Liam Wallace, Director of Hippie Hype, and Jay Van Ryan, who is the Senior Carbon and Renewables Manager of Australia New Zealand at South Pole. South Pole helps companies, capital markets and the public sector reduce their impact on climate while mitigating risk and creating value. South Pole is a science-based company and its expertise covers project finance, data collection and climate risk analysis development of environmental commodities, such as carbon and renewable energy credits. Today we discuss the benefits of carbon neutral housing and the steps that need to be taken to ensure broad scale delivery and retrofitting of carbon neutral housing in Australia. Liam Wallace is now joined by Jay Van Ryan to discuss how carbon neutral housing can support the sustainable growth of our cities. Welcome. Hey Laura. Liam, great to be with you. Laura, thank you for bringing me in. Thanks for being here. So what does carbon neutral housing actually mean? And what is the difference between embodied and operational carbon? Carbon neutral housing is is a big term in the in the industry. And Liam, I think you've had your own conversations in the industry around what is the accepted definition of it. Mm-hmm. Have you got your own definition of carbon neutral housing at the moment that you work toward? Uh, we, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one because we've we've sort of come at it you know slightly from the outside. We don't live and breathe carbon every day. More broadly, we sort of understand the need to to be reducing carbon, um, and where possible at the moment, seeking to offset um, you know carbon that 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 is involved in in the creation and operation of our buildings. And I guess that's sort of how we understand what what carbon neutral means is splitting splitting between you know the carbon that is embodied in all the materials that might be used to build a house, um, you know, kind of the miles. That are, that are related to moving that material around. So chopping a tree down wherever it's chopped down and processing that tree and transporting it to site. And so there's a whole bunch of carbon involved in that process that, that you know, can be reduced by virtue of specifying locally sourced material. Um, sort of similar to food miles, if you like. It's sort of a concept that a lot of people understand. So you've got that embodied carbon component. And then as we understand it, then when you move into the house and you start to live in the house and you start to turn heating on, turn fans on and, and the like, you've then got the carbon that, that's associated with the electricity and or gas uh, that, that's used to, to sort of fuel those services. So there's that embodied component and then the operational component through the lifetime or the life cycle of a building. And I guess as a business, we're really seeking to you know, minimise embodied carbon by virtue of sourcing material locally and working with kind of experts like yourselves and, and others like eTool to sort of understand what's, what's actually in the projects and sort of seeking to understand how we can minimise, number one, sort of gone through that process of seeking to understand how we offset the embodied carbon component which has been it's been complicated sort of these broader notions of certification which like we're really keen to have a bit of a chat about today because you know break that down a little bit for for the people out there uh and then you know our process of reducing operational carbon's really been one about going 100 percent electric so removing 
gas from all of our buildings. And we've been, we've been doing that for five years now. Gas is out. We want to go 100% electric and we want to look at integrating systems within our buildings so that we're, we're using highly efficient systems to convert electrical energy into, into light and heat energy and cooling energy uh, for our buildings. And that's the thing. If we say to a customer or a client or an investor, this is a carbon neutral building, this is a carbon neutral home, that's the answer right there, the one you just outlaid. There are so many steps, there's so many things to consider, but it's really important what is the definition that your stakeholder holds in mind because we in the industry need to work together to have a level playing field so that a carbon neutral building that HIPV Hype does has the same rigour and standard as the next carbon neutral building down the road. And that distinction between the embedded carbon and the operational is a key one. And I think it's incumbent upon us in the industry working together to really make that clear to our stakeholders. This building, if let's say it's a retrofit building, um, let's say we're just gonna look after those operational emissions. We need to be explicit in the messaging of that project to say, look, this building has been uh, retrofit, brought back from a past life. Um, we've done the best we can with bringing in low carbon materials and a low carbon construction, but we, we haven't been able to quantify and manage the carbon in that process. Be honest about that. And then you go and say, you know what? Operationally, it's a 100% electric. We're getting renewable. Uh, we've got a green tariff or we've got some way of bringing in renewable energy um, into the building so that it's green, clean energy that's powering this. There's no gas, there's no emissions there. And talking about the, um, the emissions from the move, like the um, moving forward with, the, with that building, as opposed to those legacy emissions during the build. And then on another building when we're saying this is, a, we have calculated, measured, managed, and then eventually offset the embedded embodied carbon in this, the definition of a carbon neutral building here is that this building has had no impact on the climate from getting from where it was, demolition, built form, materials brought in, fuel to then bring those materials together, and here it is. This now is just a net zero building. If it's still following the same design parameters where it's an electric, uh, all electric home or, or office, then you can talk again about how, does it, how do the emissions go moving forward. And if you can't do all electric or if there are other emission sources with the operation of the building, then you can talk about, okay, do we need to use forestry carbon offsets and others to, to manage those emissions at the same time? And what is the difference an occupant may experience in, in a carbon neutral dwelling? The notion of carbon neutral itself conceptually doesn't necessarily uh, in itself relate to livability, well-being, notions of mm. you know sustainable performance and ESD, mm. um, and that's something I've kind of come to learn through this recent journey of of you know of, of us wanting to certify our projects carbon neutral is that there is there is a bit of a disconnect between this idea of carbon neutral and ESD, a sustainable home. Um, uh, and I think because like a lot of the time carbon really is, like carbon neutral is really just talking about the carbon that's involved in building the building and the carbon that's involved in kind of operating the building. And that's distinct from broader efforts to increase energy efficiency. Yep. Um, so... Uh, insulating your, your external envelope, um, installing better quality doors and windows, which will keep your house warmer, 
uh, in, in winter and cooler in summer without having to use active heating and cooling systems as much. Um, so ESD ties into carbon neutral by virtue of the fact that a more efficient home will, will use less energy um, and therefore will um, use in its own right less electricity. Uh, but if, if you're sort of sourcing your electricity from green sources, uh, then, you know, technically that's carbon neutral. Um, but, and I think that's a really important distinction that I've come to understand through doing a lot more work in this space is, you know, the importance of, of reducing as well as offsetting. And, you know, Jay, you've really hammered that home in, in a lot of our discussions. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, you can get really excited about carbon credits and where they come from and what they achieve. And, um, but at the end of the day, like, this is also there's there's a question of reduction as well um, here, so we're seeking to use a little bit less. Um, Absolutely. And right now, I'm living in a carbon neutral home myself, but um, I can tell you that it's no more comfortable than anything else. Reason being is I live in a 1960s single brick, thin walls, barely insulated build, and uh, it's carbon neutral because I choose to pay a premium on my gas and power to mm. carbon offset the energy that I have to use to keep that place warm. Mm. Now, that is, that is good. It's a good environmental outcome, but that's certainly not best practice. And so, again, it comes back to when we're working with our stakeholders to say this is a carbon-neutral building. Well, what is their expectation of their experience with that? And it goes to your point, Slam, that it should be a case that every other measure has been taken along the livability, well-being, emissions reduction, energy efficiency, the things that the design items that go along with the vision of a carbon neutral building to them when you finally need to offset some residual emissions, they are already minimised and you're now already inhabiting a much more comfortable building because it has all those ESD design philosophy built into it. Mm. We can go and, you know, carbon offset a really inefficient, clunky old building, okay, that's fine. But really that's not where we need to get to. We need to get to a, a more um, ground-up thinking where all buildings have a net zero target in mind. And how do you achieve that? You achieve that through good design. You achieve that with the knowledge of who your uh, inhabitants are going to be, whether it's commercial or residential, their well-being in mind. And in doing so, you're going to have a lower carbon bill at the end of it because you will have designed out so many emissions in the first place through just, yeah, as you say, those ESD principles. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of, it's kind of like you alluded to it a little bit at the beginning. It, it's a little bit of a dangerous space, this one, I think, because it's it's relatively easy to go and slap a, you know, carbon neutral tag on something um, by virtue of sort of, you know, buying green power mm. and through the operational life cycle of a building, being able to claim that it's carbon neutral and rightly so. But, you know, those claims, I think, are relatively easy to unpick when you, when you sort of step below um, the surface a little bit and start to uncover what's actually involved in, in the project and how, you know, what are the broader sustainability credentials mm. of, of that particular project. It really is a package. Um, so this, this, this broader move towards zero that we're seeing uh, around the place, um, it's going to be pretty easy for people to, to sort of start to ask some questions of, of promoters out, out there who, who are claiming to be carbon neutral. Okay, well, how are you doing it? And something um, we've talked about in the past, Liam, is there's, there's the 
third-party certified route under you know various standards out there then there's the self-certified route if you like but whichever way you go disclosure is key mm. it's about being transparent with the data that's being collected how you've performed your calculations and then what you're doing with those emissions i think it's incumbent upon all developers if they want to make a net zero or a carbon neutral claim to really unpack that for the market and say, well, this is why. You've either, if you've done it down a certified pathway, okay, it's all part of that certification process. If you've not, then you just publish however you need to, what that emissions profile is, what you're capturing, what measures are being put in place to reduce emissions, and then if you're doing the offsetting, okay, where are your offsets coming from and, and what are they doing? I think it's fundamentally, it's about disclosure and transparency. Mm. Mm. I suppose we've spoken about the benefits of an occupant, but what are the benefits of a, a carbon neutral housing to our cities and environment more broadly? That's a bigger picture question. I think it, it goes to some of uh, the broader macro targets um, to reduce carbon in the atmosphere, ultimately, the amount of carbon that we produce from today moving forward in our efforts to um, uh, you know, limit temperature increase uh, and limit associated impacts i think i don't know we're 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 living through a a really big shake to the system right now uh, and it hasn't necessarily directly come from a climate change related event Um, but we're kind of getting a feel for what that feels like you know as a society as a global community and it's not particularly nice and um i sort of think it just brings home a little bit um, so some of the warnings that, that scientists have been making now for decades around the potential impacts of climate change and what temperature rises beyond kind of current predictions. You know, 1.5 degrees is the number, I guess, that, that people are throwing around off the back of Paris. But, you know, the thing that worries me about those broader predictions is our ability to assess something like that is only as good as the assumptions that exist within the models and it's an incredibly complex and interrelated system and and who's to say that you know our our assumptions aren't underestimating broader impacts and feedback loops that we don't yet understand so like in short we're sort of we're sort of dealing with something pretty serious and the impacts of which are going to shake us arguably more so than present impacts of covid um, and we really probably need to do something uh, pretty quickly. So this broader idea of carbon neutral and what does it mean um, when, we, when we step beyond the building scale and, and sort of head towards the city scale um, is, is, um, is really a response to our need to reduce emissions at scale um, as a society, as a country, and, and more broadly as kind of a global community. And we know what it feels like to live in a 1.1 degree world. We are there now. We're edging on 1.2 degrees. I think it's pretty fair to say if you ask the community, do they want hotter summers? Do they want drier summers? Do they want more um, volatile storms and winters? Do they want more uncertainty for our rural regions? Do we want more bushfires? Obviously, the answer to all that is no, no, no. We do not want that. The issue is, if we stop emitting tomorrow, if tomorrow, magically, well, in fact, COVID-19, as you say, Liam, has kind of given us an insight to this, where our emissions are down globally significantly, but our atmospheric warming potential is still going to keep going up. 
putting the brakes on atmospheric warming is a decadal issue. If we stop emitting tomorrow, we've still got 20 years of warming coming up. So the challenge is we really need to think long-term and we need to look at where are the material sources of emissions in our economy. And absolutely, the built environment is a material source of emission in the Australian uh, economy. We are building more buildings in our urban areas now than we ever have before. And as well as our um, urban growth is concerned, we are putting, I believe the number is something like 500,000 homes into the system nationally every year. So we are using a lot of energy and a lot of material to keep our population comfortable. And we need to resolve those emissions as soon as possible because we have such a long braking distance when it comes to reducing the atmospheric warming, which is causing all of the current environmental damage that we are feeling. Mm-hmm. I suppose that leads on to the next question. I mean, you kind of touched on this earlier, Jay, about you know, existing houses and how to offset you know, energy use operationally. But of all that carbon that's already been generated into keeping our population comfortable, as you just said, you know, what can be done to retrofit existing houses and to make existing houses carbon neutral, I suppose, above and beyond what you said for your own house? Yeah, look, I think let's, let's work backwards from where we were before. Before we were talking about uh, ESD principles of design and making sure we design out carbon and, and design in well-being and livability. But if we're talking about retrofit now today, absolutely we can work backwards in the sense that we can offset the emissions currently today being used in every building. So if we take um, just a classic uh, commercial office building, the first thing they can do is using the various tools out there um, with Neighbours and Greenstar, they're easy to calculate the operational emissions of that office environment. Then they can just choose a great project in terms of carbon project that aligns with their needs, be that um, forestry projects, which is sequestering carbon back into the ground, or community projects, which is avoiding carbon by using different um, fuel sources for in-home cooking, as opposed to where traditionally uh, logging the local forest would be used. You can use more sustainable uh, fuels to do the in-home cooking. Those decisions can be made today to then just get those emissions that are currently going up into the atmosphere, neutralise those out, and then we can pass the lean around a retrofit way of improving the actual performance of that um, that building or office environment um, moving forward. But I think there's a distinction there where retrofitting, let's start it offsetting, go to zero today. For new builds, let's start to design in um, less carbon and then deal with the offsetting once the project's finished. Yeah, it's really quite easy. I think one of the things that we're really focused on as well is broader notions of sustainability and like a carbon neutral home and all the rest of it. It's kind of It's kind of a real shame that sort of politics has entered this space and the left, if you like, seems to own this word sustainability and there's kind of the battle lines have been drawn, uh, you know, along along political lines on an issue that's really kind of bipartisan and affects us all and is really practical and that makes sense, you know. Anyone that's lived in a kind of averagely built home and understands that it gets really hot in summer and really cold in winter and you rely on turning a split system on that blows dust around the house and if you've got particular allergies, you sneeze, a cough, or just don't quite feel comfortable. And the power bill associated, the gas bill associated. And the systems. power bill, like, so, you know, gas price goes up, all of a sudden you're paying more, yeah. more for gas, more for heating, blah, blah, blah. You know, that affects, like, average people. 
around Australia, it doesn't matter what political party you, you kind of support, it doesn't matter what your broader ideals are, it doesn't matter what, what, what kind of God you believe in, you know, it's a real, it's a real impact. Um, and I think Australia's kind of been lucky to an extent where sort of like the weather extremes have been maybe more mild and we've been able to make do. Um, but that said, you know, we, we live down here in the, in the southern parts of Australia and your winter's you're starting to feel the impacts there you, you you've got your summers longer hotter um energy bills going up so so it's really impacting like your average person on a on a daily basis um and building more efficiently and these broader ideas of sustainability um are sort of just inherent to what a decent building is that your average person just should have access to I just think it's a real shame that we've drawn we've drawn these lines around sort of the border politics in Australia because this this is just it's an issue that, that exists beyond politics. Mm. Um, I suppose that's that is a major roadblock. And I suppose what else do you see as, as other kind of major roadblocks being um, in the way to carbon neutral housing being mandated for all new builds in Australia? Do you see it as purely you know lack of political will or something broader within the industry? I think it's inevitable that we will end up with a carbon neutral standard for new builds in this country. Because it's technically feasible. Well, it's, it's very easy to achieve. Exactly. There's, like there's no issues there. We, it's not that we can't do it. It's just that we are not doing it because we don't have to. Yeah, we're not doing it because we don't have to. And I also refer back to like the political issue. You know, like, um, you know, politicians on both sides um, have chosen to leverage this point to their own advantage. And, and ultimately, I think we will all lose out because of that. So, you know, scrap these ideas that sustainability is bad and it will be a threat to the way that you exist right now because it's just not true. Um, well, you can see now in the current economic crisis that we're, the world is going through, the financial markets that have invested in more sustainable assets are actually outperforming the traditional financial markets today so yeah. this is starting to be just a night and day clear example of when your money is placed in sustainable development sustainable assets sustainable communities it is actually a better financial decision for you and that's going to cascade down to sustainable buildings because they're just going to be more resilient more stable yeah. they're going to be a higher market demand because they're just going to be they are generally more comfortable to yeah. exist in yeah. all those indicators say that this that's a good bet yeah and I think the real challenge, more broadly for the industry, and I reckon, like from what we've seen, the industry's up for it. It's just, you know, the legislative settings just aren't there to support industry. So, you know, your big home builders will jump on board as soon as they have to. They're already doing the work to understand how they can um, build more energy efficient homes. At the moment, they don't have to, therefore they don't, and therefore the broader population doesn't get to experience what it's like to live in a more efficient home, therefore they don't demand it. Mm -hmm. um, there's just like a vicious feedback loop there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely don't doubt that that, that that will occur. And I think it's, it's really incumbent as well because, you know, at the moment sustainability is a little bit of a luxury and that's a shame. You know, your average person out there um, can't necessarily afford the additional cost to, to build uh, you know, a more sustainable, more energy efficient and ultimately carbon neutral home. Um, and that's fine. So I think we do need to look to government for leadership. Um, and with that leadership coming from council, you then have the sort of weight of the market 
finding solutions to deliver more sustainable homes for more people and making it cheaper just by virtue of the the weight of of capital and the the size of the market bringing the price down that's a really quick change um and i'll tell you what like your average person out there is gonna 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 really see some benefit from that um you know both in reduced energy costs but also just more broadly in a, in a more comfortable home environment. And I think that's the other side of COVID at the moment that's really highlighted um, the quality of, of, of our home environments. We've been locked inside for the last couple of months um, and we've, we've really experienced on a quite personal level um, you know, the quality of, of our home environments and how they could be improved. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's some real opportunity there. And I suppose we've, we've touched on it, but just as, as a final word, where do you see the future for carbon neutral housing in Australia? That's a great, great question to end on. And, and actually, it links well to some of what you're saying there before, Liam. I think it's about the whole value chain of the built environment sector coming together. So that's coming everywhere from the designers that we have here in the room through to the suppliers, the material manufacturers, because we already have examples where there is carbon neutral plasterboard, there is certified carbon neutral plasterboard certified carbon neutral concrete out there which then when you're specifying a building you can spec that in and you can then create that competitive environment within the market because there is a clear leader in the concrete space that you can bring in already carbon neutral concrete and then their competitors have to step up so then that's where you say those market forces jump in we start to see more choice around the type of carbon neutral materials available to be specified in that in itself brings the cost down and then you start to see that value stacking up toward the end customer where they're getting a great building which is more li- more comfortable more livable it is a low carbon or a, a light touch on the environment and they're getting all those economic um, advantages of having that market working together in a competitive landscape to deliver it at the best price mm-hmm. yeah i just Big picture, you know, carbon neutral isn't scary. Um, sustainability isn't scary. It doesn't mean that, you know, the way you live today necessarily needs to change fundamentally tomorrow. Um, and that's a really exciting thing about a lot of these technologies is it's, it's, small, it's small tweaks. It's not massive changes necessarily to the way that we currently live, um, but it requires us all to be doing it, hence we need leadership from government um, because incremental change on an individual basis when we're all doing it means quite large changes uh, in the way that the system um, you know sources its material and and ultimately sources its energy Um, uh, and you know we'll we'll be able to do that more efficiently more effectively and 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 in a way that reduces kind of our collective carbon footprint and that that's pretty exciting i think mate one one from me like if anyone out there is interested in these concepts like where where can you go to 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 find some more information like if you want to learn a little bit more where's where can you go it would be remiss of me not to direct people to <laughs> southpole.com <laughs> and, and have a look at some of the um, services that we're providing the market with reaching their carbon neutral targets, both here in Australia and overseas. But also I'd like to promote 
the Australian government, speaking of leadership, the Australian government does have a carbon neutral certification program out there. It's called Climate Active. So uh, everyone can jump on climateactive.org and, um, and have a look at that. And because it's a government standard, it's very transparent. You can download these, um, the, the specifications to how to have a carbon neutral building uh, or a carbon neutral product. And, and look to see how is it possible. And, and to your point, Liam, it's, it's, all, it's all technically feasible. It's all there for, for the market to use. And like everything in the uh, evolution of our society, we needed to put a minimum standard on how do we build homes in terms of safety. That was brought in. We needed a minimum standard on the energy uh, efficiency of, of our homes. That was brought in. Now we're just coming to the next evolution, which is we need a minimum standard on the emissions and performance because this is a global challenge and we need to deal with our emissions. And so we can bring that in as well and that just lifts us all up to, um, to reach those carbon neutral goals. Hmm. Thank you. So to sum up, the technology is there, the market is ready, the business case is more than compelling. We're just in need of some real political leadership to make carbon neutral housing a new minimum standard across Australia. Thank you for tuning in.